Omar on the line. What do you want to ask him? If you were me and you were young and energetic and you had the tools to do this, would you kick back and learn? Or would you just full steam ahead, try to go for it and try to learn as you go? Just stop listening to motivational crap on YouTube, right? Do it. And just focus on whatever that it is. So if you want to get better at selling, as an example, because that, that's the one skill you need to have, man. It doesn't matter what you're doing, okay? Just get better at selling. What does getting better at selling mean? Let's assume, obviously, you got to talk to people, learn, but just pick up one thing every day. That's your biggest task of the day and just do it. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what everybody says. Just do that task. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Brisk. Very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes, and we've got two great people on the line with us. We got Omar Khan and William Robinson. Up to bat first today, Omar, you're the experienced investor on today's show. Let's talk with you a little bit. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for hosting me, and great uh, to meet you, William, as well. Yeah, likewise, Omar. And thanks for having me, Brian. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I mean, thanks for coming on. It it takes three people to make this show work. You know, I think I'm equally grateful that you guys come on and, and help me do what I do. Yeah, I heard a secret about podcasters is that they're always looking for guests. <laughs> that is absolutely true. When people come to me and say, can I be on your show? You know, I'm like, okay, that's one less person that I have to go looking for. You know, <laughs> as long as they meet the minimum qualifications, the answer is usually yes. That is a great point. Anyway, Omar, let's talk a little bit about your background. Tell us, you know, where you came from and walk us into how you got into real estate. Look, my background basically is in finance. A lot of fine, like a lot of finance guys, uh, went into capital markets, uh, both on the buy side, which is corporate, as well as the sell side, which is advisory investment banking. Did all of that. Had a great set of experiences because a lot of this on the technical operational side. I mean, you like all fields, right? You have a theoretical knowledge, but till you're not in basically the trenches, actually, literally doing things day in and day out mechanically, you don't understand all the way the pieces come together because there's one theory and then there's application. So I did that close to about 10 years in Canada. And then I moved down to the US because chasing after a girl. And by that time, basically, I had a good set of experiences, but my family's also entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather has been, I'm like the third generation that has significant commercial real estate holdings. Mm -hmm. There was always that background as well, right? Like a commercial entrepreneurial type background, had a great set of experiences, realized, okay, now I'm exactly at the right place now where I, I need to basically decide, okay, good set of experiences, good background, good network, went to great schools. So now I've got to go do something. Uh, but the bigger impetuous there wasn't just, say, being in America and commercial real estate. The bigger impetuous there was tax efficiency. Uh, my wife's a physician. I was doing pretty okay for myself corporate career-wise. And you know, we were earlier on, I mean, when we got married, I think what was this? I was 30, right? She was 29. Uh, but what, and we realized, look, by the grace of God, we're doing very well. But we were paying like significantly into the high six figures in taxes. Yeah. And that's, if you think about it, kind of at like the start-ish of our lives or careers, right? Yeah. So 
we're like, okay, this is a great problem to have, but man, and I understand paying taxes. I just don't understand paying everyone's taxes. Mm-hmm. Right? So <laughs> the tax efficiency part was very important. So, you know, uh, a lot of it is, hey, having the right experience, having mm-hmm. the right background, going to the right companies, having good mentors, you know, like when you work professionally in investment banking, corporate, but it was also a big burning tax issue. Like yeah. if I didn't have that tax issue, as an example, I might not have been as motivated to go ahead and do what I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking with somebody that's I consider a high net worth investor. I don't know where that that number begins or ends. Hey, um, hey, hey, it's like that Supreme Court justice said about pornography. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I consider him a high net worth guy. We were talking about investing last week, and he kept on asking. When we were talking about different deals, he brings me deals, and I help him vet it sometimes. But he was like, "Hey, what do you think the depreciation on this is going to be? Hey, what's the depreciation?" And he kept on asking every time we talk about a particular deal or property, hey, how do you think the depreciation is going to roll out on that property? And it, t- it took me a while to realize, you know, exactly what his biggest concern was. And it was the same thing. It was taxes. You know, he wants to minimize his taxes. And that's one great thing about real estate is you're, it, it's a very tax efficient way to invest. Definitely something that, you know, once you get to the point to where you're paying a lot of taxes, you start playing more defense than offense. And a penny saved is a penny earned. I think that was a so, penny I'll give you a simple example. Think about <laughs> yeah. it this way, right? Look, you know, we, you know, you raise significant amounts of money. You've got, I'm assuming, say, let's assume you've got a physician couple, right? Mm-hmm. At the low end, if they're both physicians, at the low, low end, they're probably making 500 grand a year. This mm-hmm. is on the low end, right? So think about it this way. If they're in most states, like let's take, I'll say, Texas or Florida, they're in other states, they're probably paying, when you put all in, they're easily paying over $150,000, $200,000 in taxes. Yeah per year. Now, they could potentially just be like, okay, I can take more ships, I can do more locums, I can do this, I can do that, right? Or even if they decided, okay, we're not going to solve all of our problem, we're just going to start chipping away at it. Mm -hmm. And maybe we start solving how to reduce our $200,000 in taxes to $100,000 in taxes, right? Right. It's just $100,000 in savings. Now, think about it this way, that is close to about eight, eight and a half thousand dollars of extra cash, straight cash, no, nothing, straight cash to your bottom line every month. It's a bit like somebody telling you, hey, uh, as long as you do this, I'll give you. A, and by the way, this isn't something really hard. I mean, you didn't change your life, you didn't change your job. You'll get eighty five hundred dollars or whatever it is and change more per month, straight cash. Yeah, I don't give a shit how good you are or how rich you are. If you're gonna get eighty five hundred dollars more extra for not doing anything, yeah. you're gonna take the money, yeah. right? Absolutely. And that's the simplest example. You don't. And what job is gonna give you a hundred thousand dollar raise? Every year, even if you're a physician, even mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter how high up you are, you're yeah. not going to keep getting 20, 30, 40% raises every mm-hmm. year. So when you stack all that money up, man, I mean, it starts becoming a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's something something that I'm gradually learning more about as, as my, my income gets higher and higher. I mean, for, for 20 years in the Marine Corps, I never had to worry about taxes, you know, because I just didn't make enough. Get to the point to where you know, now, now the income's coming in. Now it's, it's, it's a very real issue. I wish I was making, you know, seven figures a year, but not quite there yet, but um, we're we're going to get there. Remember Mo money, Mo problems, man. Exactly. Exactly. Mo money. Yeah. So uh, flashback from uh, like what, 1990, 1995 or 96. Yeah. 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 Mo money. Yeah. Exactly. Man. (laughs) So I grew up listening to that guy. Right. So, I mean, 
tech real estate, very tax efficient vehicle. And, and so Omar, that was that was one of the biggest things you were looking at getting into real estate was you figuring out how to solve a tax problem. And, and real estate is a good way to do it. Take us from there and talk about how you got into real estate and how you got to where you're at right now. Okay. So look, once this whole tax, and again, it wasn't a realization. It was now just that we made enough money that it's a big problem, right? I mean, mm-hmm. problem in quotation marks. It's a nice problem to have, right? So now it was deciding, okay, well, what do I do now? It has to be something tax efficient. The reason for real estate is number one, A, my family has a lot of real estate. So yep. that's an obvious one, right? Uh, but the other big thing was, look, I, I knew my limitations, right? So for instance, I wasn't going to mill the next Facebook or mm-hmm. I didn't have a tech background or I wasn't an artist, right? That, I don't know, you create a great movie and you make hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? So the the opportunity, the opportunity set starts dwindling down, right? Mm-hmm. And what I didn't want to do was, because I was in oil and gas before this, and I'd seen this basically, I'd seen like one um, dip in pricing, where I'd seen a lot of guys that were saying their late 40s, uh, mid 50s, maybe hitting 60, right about the time they're they're high, they're deep enough into their career that they just can't change on a yeah. dime, right? What I did also want to be was be like those guys, be say high producers, top top in their field. And then something that's completely beyond their control happens. And Mm -hmm. now they're at a stage in their career where they've got kids, they've got mortgages, they've got college payments coming due, and you're SOL, basically. You can't do anything, right? You're stuck. And I really didn't want that level of volatility in my career because I didn't want to build up to something for 20 years, all for it to go down for reasons that have nothing to do with me. Right. Right. I can interject. Um, I want to say that, like, you know, my, my subscribers to the magazine, you know, that we have, like, I would say that a solid like 50, maybe even 60% of the people who are coming in are are speaking about these exact same kind of issues. Like, hey, you know, I'm making up, I'm making too much money at this job. My lifestyle caught up to me. Now my kids are older and now, you know, I have to pay for their college bills. And on top of it, I'm paying so much in taxes. I don't really know what to do. So the only outlet is either I had to go to real estate or I want to go to real estate because I don't know what I'm going to do otherwise. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, this is going to be, I think episode number three, eight, three Oh eight or three ten or something like that. And it's, it's a very, very common concern that you're talking about Omar. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that. A lot of people see the realization. For for me, it was the 2008 recession. My dad, my both my older brothers, and my sister all lost their jobs at various points in that recession. You know, and it was just one of those things where I started I started looking at okay, you know, I'm in the military right now, which is safe, but I got to figure out a way to make it so I am resistant to re- recessions myself. And that's that's really where I started buying real estate. For me, it was single family homes and then later came the transition. So, so. look, I just, for, for a change, I was lucky that I didn't make all the mistakes myself. I learned from other people, but I just didn't want to be like a lot of these guys who I knew were really smart. I mean, they mm-hmm. were crushing it, right? And a risk. something weird happened that it's beyond their control. So that's why mm-hmm. it happened to real estate. A lot of this wasn't necessarily, hey, I love real estate and I want to do it. A lot of this was a process of elimination. It's a bit like, you know, when you're doing your SATs, right? Yeah. You might not know an answer, <laughs> but you know, what's the wrong answer, right? Yeah. So you definitely don't pick that answer, right? So mm-hmm. the process of elimination led to real, say, real estate. And then within real estate as well, again, I realized, look, what I don't want to do is something that is extremely cyclical. So, you know, during the good times, you make a lot of money. But again, it's like oil and gas during the bad times, man, you can't catch a break, right? Yeah. 
You can't go buy a break if you had the money. In the world. That meant that hotels were kind of out. Again, it doesn't mean I'll never invest in hotels. I've invested in a hotel deal. Yeah. But for me personally, scaling it out over, say, a 20-year period wasn't really my deal. Retail, for instance, again, the underlying mm-hmm. retail real estate, what I never really understood was, and I'm, again, grossly oversimplifying this, mm-hmm. is that if my rent escalator, like you sign a 5, 10-year lease, number yeah. one, the rent escalator typically is, say, 2% a year, mm-hmm. right? And even man, seven years ago, 10 years ago, inflation was more than 2%. Come on, maybe maybe it's 2%, right? Mm -hmm. So you're barely breaking even, right? In real terms. So retail goes out of the window. Industrial, thinking back, I should have maybe gone into industrial because that's the one thing that's even hotter than multifamily. It's been been the bell of the ball the last couple of years. Absolutely. But again, the thing with industrial is, maybe I should have done it. So Mm -hmm. who knows? But again, the thing there was, Mm It can go up and down. So really, process of elimination led to multifamily, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, essential service, shelter, the whole the whole line yards you've covered, right? Yeah. But the bigger deal there also was that unlike a lot of these other, say, retail as an example, I didn't necessarily see multifamily as an industry and a vertical being as affected by technology disruption, say, as retail. If you're a mom and pop store, yeah. Amazon and Walmart are going to eat your lunch, even with their online delivery. So now you're severely affected. Whereas with multifamily, yeah, technology can complement your product offering. Yeah. It's not going to just take it away. Mm-hmm. So process of elimination led to this thing, right? But mm-hmm. again, if I didn't have, say, the professional technical background in running structuring deals, I did over three and a half billion dollars of deals, right? Yeah. And all of that t- the technical components, I wouldn't have been able to analyze my option set that easily. Mm-hmm. Now, once we made that decision, then going to good schools, having good networks, working in good firms, that really started paying off. Because yeah. now I could, for instance, pick up the phone and, and again, that network develops over a period of time, right? Mm-hmm. You never start like at the end spot. But I could pick up the phone, say, call my bosses, call my colleagues who I'd worked with for 10 years. And they they invested with me, not all of them, yep. right? But they invested with me because they had seen that I had gone through all of this sort of stuff. And they had they 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 had good disposable incomes. So being in those networks really helped. And then after that, it was just putting one foot after the other. There was no grand plan. It was, hey, let's do deals, let's do good deals, let's do good deals, take care of people, take care of ourselves, take care of our partners, mm-hmm. and just sequentially keep doing the right. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I like that. A lot of people have been able to to leverage their their professional careers into real estate, and you were able to leverage the relationships you made to make that easier. And I think that's that's a, an extremely important point to make when you're transitioning from oil and gas into real estate. What were some of the big challenges that you that you faced and had to overcome? Look, I'll be honest with you. Um, in my particular case, I had moved from Canada to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right. As much as I would like to say they were challenges, I mean, there's challenges in every business. Like you have challenges in your business. You want to raise more money. You want to find more deal flow. But I don't consider that a challenge. That is part of running a business. Mm-hmm. But in terms of challenges, I would, look, I think I'm very blessed. While there are things I could have improved on, big challenges weren't there because number one, I'm in America. It's a big market. People are mm-hmm. very entrepreneurial, right? So there is an impetuous and a need to move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. People just generally kind of have that. Then, for instance, I was in Texas and Dallas is kind of ground zero for a lot of these sort of things. Yeah. Right. So it's a bit like if you're in tech and you're in the Bay Area, it really helps. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It doesn't hurt you at all. Right. So just being in the right environment and then look, having all my professional experiences, right, where working, say, 80, 100 hours in my 20s. 
mm-hmm. having that work ethic built into me, right? Because mm-hmm. some of those attributes I didn't have, right? I just had to go through that that training experience to mm-hmm. have that type of work ethic. And then just bringing that work ethic and intensity into now running my own business and my own set of affairs, that really helped. So I wouldn't say they were challenges. They were more attributes and skills that I was bringing, but none mm-hmm. of this would have been possible if I wasn't in the right environment, in the right country with the right set of people. Nice. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. I mean, you, you basically took the momentum you had created in your corporate world and just shifted directions slightly. So, but, yeah, but again, you- none of this would have been possible if I wasn't in the right environment. Yeah. All of the attributes could have been the same, but success could have been like one tenth of what I had. I love it. Well, let's talk about one of the one of the deals that you guys have done. You pick your first, pick your favorite, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Tell us about one of the deals you've done. Go into a little detail on on what a deal with with Omar looks like. I can talk to you about this deal, Equinox at night. Um, we're actually refinancing for a second time in three years, mm-hmm. so uh, that's pretty good, right? We, we're going to return close to about 80 to 90% of investors' capital back, their double-digit cash flow. But the bigger thing there was, it's in one of the nicest suburbs in Atlanta. Apart from, hey, running the deal, during COVID, everybody still gets paid on time. We did all, all the value, all the stuff people mm-hmm. talked about. The bigger thing there for me was the, the kind of relationships I developed. As an example, the owner of the property management firm, he was, by the way, also the owner of the property. Mm-hmm. I just Okay. Property manager. And initially I thought, well, you know, if this property manager doesn't really work out, we can always replace him. Mm-hmm. But number one, they turned out to be the best relationship I've ever had in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Straight up. I mean, real estate wise, right? Number two, what it also helped is because they had been around for 30, 40 years in the market and they were private capital guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I can now just pick up the phone, call Andy. Andy is the owner of that property yep. management firm and be like, hey, Andy, what do you think about it? And Andy can tell me the history of that property from 1990s all the way to right. This mm-hmm. property used to be called this. They had a development plan here. This didn't really work out. Now this owner is doing this. So a lot of that on the ground intel, that relationship developed as a result of having that deal. And as a result of having that deal, what's also happened for our investors is that because as our relationship has grown with the property management firm and we we have like more and more properties with them, our costs of doing business have gone down a lot. So what we're having on one side is rising rates. We really capitalized on that. We're top of the market and everything on the revenue side of the equation, right? We've refinanced two times, right? And turned significant mm-hmm. amounts of capital back to people. In fact, with the second refinance, investors should be cash flowing about 18 to 20% per year. I mean, or probably more now, right? But the bigger deal is on the expense side of the equation, our costs have gone down. So you have mm-hmm. rising revenues, lower expenses. So your NOI and cash flows have just exploded. And none of that could have happened, again, if I didn't have that relationship that happened. Yeah. Again, part of that relationship was just luck and serendipity, right? Mm-hmm. But part of this was me also showing up to the party, yeah. right? Because if I wasn't a good client, I wasn't pushing the needle, then that relationship with Andy won't have developed. Yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of people talk luck. I mean, there, there, there is a certain aspect of luck involved, but really, I, th- I think we create our own luck. I mean, you you created that luck by putting yourself out there, by by doing everything you did and ended up paying paying a lot of dividends. And oh, by the way, I'll, ju- I'll just say that having a really good property manager is can make or break any deal. You know, it's something that a lot of people have issues with the management. And if you got a property manager that, that you like and is doing a great job, that, that's a relationship you want to pour a lot of time and effort into. We're looking at doing developments with them. Like I'm actively looking at their 
developers as well. I'm basically buying, hopefully buying another property from those guys. That relationship, I mean, it's taken time, but there have been many ways. There's many jumping off points with relationships, right? Where you can expand and everybody's a winner. This way your investors are winners. You are winners. Your counterparties are winners. Let's shift gears. And one question I'd like to ask everybody, you know, more, more along the motivation side, you know, what, what's your big burning why? Uh, I'm not that deep of a person. So my big burning why is to not be poor. Right? Yeah. Uh, I was very lucky through no fault of my own, by the way, that I was, my parents were very supportive. They were, I mean, nobody was a billionaire, but I mean, we were comfortable upper middle yeah. class. We were comfortable. We didn't lack for anything. Right. And I'd like to continue the good times, hopefully for my children, so that all of the advantages that I had growing up, at the bare minimum, they can have those advantages. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, and that, that factors into a lot of people. You know, a lot of people who are, when you when you look at the life you have, I, I had a fairly comfortable life, and I want to give my kids the same or better. And I think my, my parents had the exact same philosophy. They wanted to give us the same or better. I think that's something that, that resonates with a lot of people. You have kids, and you want to make sure that they're as or more comfortable than you were when you were their age. So it's like a campground route. I don't know if you guys go camping, right? <laughs> if you go to a campsite and even if there's litter, you got to leave it in an equal or a better position. Yeah. Than you. Leave it better. That was, that's, I was a, I was a boy scout a long time ago. And that was one of the things that we always talked about. Leave it better than you arrived. All right. Well, last question for you. And then we'll bring, bring William on what's next for you. So we have a development uh, coming up. I'll actually, you know, we were talking about stuff, so I'll share it with yeah. you. We're going to launch it soon. Uh, we have a development coming up. Uh, we also have an acquisition coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. So development is our third development in that market. Acquisition is going to be our what is it, seventh or eighth in that market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lots of good things happening. Yeah. But for us, we've always been, even I get this question a lot. Hey, what's changed with all this capital markets volatility? Mm-hmm. And for us, nothing's changed. Right. We were always underwriting to conservative principles using, you know, actual market data, not made up data. So mm-hmm. nothing has changed. It's the same measure twice, cut once and, uh, you know, be extremely fearful and paranoid going into every deal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something somebody brought up to me the other the other day is, you know, you, you got to you got to be very careful when you buy in this market. You know, my I scratched my head and I said, I've been pretty careful on everything that, you know, I put my name on, you know, it, it, it's no different. It's just the fundamentals. You go back to the fundamentals and you keep on, keep on pushing forward. Appreciate that. And we're going to shift gears and bring William on. So William, how are you doing today? I am doing really good. Busy as usual, you know, been uh, for a good three hours before this. So, you know, getting my day started early, getting done, you know, all the things that I need to do for the magazine, you know, talking to different people, trying to find deals and mm-hmm. you know, a couple of investor conversations. Um, nice. Those are some conversations with some closer investors, I guess, that are like more of buddies at this point. But yeah, I'm doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing really good. This is this is my first event of the day. I just you know got up and worked out and early start for me is before nine. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm up a lot long before that, though. But well, uh, I can't lie. I don't get up at five every day. I definitely don't kick myself for sleeping in. And sometimes. you guys definitely don't have kids that are young anymore. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have my, my youngest long, is man. six, so she doesn't keep us up very much. Turns seven in, in like two weeks. Yeah, she's not keeping us up very much at night. You know, occasionally she will, but yeah, for the most part, I, I'm past the young kid in the house phase, which is a nice place to be as a parent. Anyway, William, tell us a little bit about yourself. Do you want to hear about my background or what I'm doing now? A little bit about about your background and then transition into what you're doing now. I mean, 
Okay. So, I mean, my background, I mean, I started as when I was 14, I started working um, in construction. You know, I worked with ex-girlfriend's father every day after school on weekends and I would just, you know, flip houses with him. I mean, really that's, that's what I was doing. And, you know, once that kind of fizzled out, I started to go to Home Depot and build relationships with unlicensed people who were, you know, doing work for other people. And I would just kind of go on those crews as much as I could. Once I had their phone numbers, I didn't have to wait at Home Depot anymore. So I did that. That kind of led me, you know, through my life, but I had to do that for many, many years. And then around about a year ago, I met the CEO of Realty 411 Magazine, mm-hmm. and I started to help her with her company. And now at this point, I'm succeeding it and I'll be, you know, taking it over and, you know, continuing on the journey that she started in 2007, which is basically what we do. We try to teach people how to become real estate investors. We teach people how maybe they can try to start from scratch or mm-hmm. like how Omar created success for himself, you know transition from a decently paying corporate job into owning real estate, either through accessing the help of colleagues or family members or whatever it may be. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get into it, but we just try to teach people how to do that in general. We host live events, we do webinars, we do have a podcast, we do a lot of things. We have an email marketing list. I mean, we just try our best to just really take a holistic approach to looking at each person and being like, okay, how can this individual actually get there? What's it going to take to actually get there? What do they need? What do we need to provide them with? How can we help them? And that's kind of that's kind of what I do at this point. And the transition in that really was a, a rapid one for me. I mean, man, it's it's felt like a whirlwind of the last like 11, 12 months. I mean, now I'm at this, I'm at close to the head of this huge, like, you know, organization that's been around for a long time and it's pretty well established in the industry. I mean, I tell people the company that I'm succeeding sometimes and they look at me like, what? They're just confused. And I'm like, you know, here I am doing my best. Um, But yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I do now. At this point, you know, I, um, I use the magazine to raise private capital. I avidly pursue building my own network to do the same thing, which is raising private capital. I am working on getting my contractor license bonded more. My buddy and I, we run a contracting business. We're bonded up to 2 million. We build ADUs and things like that. I mean, him and I both, his his name's Gianni. We've been working in the, the business and construction since we were like, you know, he started at 16. I started at 14. So when we both, uh, you know, got to that age where we could start our own business, he kind of, we kind of sat down and he was like, all right, what are we going to do? And I was like, okay, well, we're too young to go we don't have enough experience to go and actually get a contractor license. And he's like, okay, well, we can just become basically like 1099 employees of another contractor, open up essentially another franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if we know somebody, we can kind of get in like that. And so that's what we've been doing since then. Now our little franchise is bonded, um, you know, up to $2 million and we're doing pretty well. I mean, we're finishing finishing a duplex ADU in Riverside right now Mm -hmm. and an ADU in Temecula. You know, and that's, uh, that's, I think I, I consider that to be a little smaller because it's not to the point to where I want it to be yet. You know, whereas the projects that I'm raising for are honestly like really, really great projects and like mm-hmm. higher level stuff that like, I, I kind of skipped over that whole fix and flip 20 unit, 30 unit phase and jumped straight into, I'm going to start raising for a huge, like, you know, maybe not huge, but 228 units to me is huge. Yeah, a development that I'm involved in is like 500 units, and I'm going to be. We're expecting entitlement for that like quarter four 2022. 
um you know i already have the om and the renderings and all that fun stuff so that, i mean that it's really fascinating to me because i've always wanted to be on this side of the business because all my life pretty much i was swinging a hammer you know so it's really cool to see it happen now but uh, i mean those those projects are huge to me so i just yeah. kind of jumped straight to capital raising for those things because i figure you know with the tools that i have you know the magazine and the network and just the natural ability that i've gotten to do this business from that I figure, well, if I get in with people who are doing this well, they've been doing it for a lot of years, I can probably just trade my uh, help with the magazine and the capital raising ability that comes along with that because it's substantial for the knowledge, yeah. you know, for the for the strategies, for how, how to navigate the business. I thought to myself, okay, well, either I can, you know, spend two years flipping and grinding and mm-hmm. buying small short-term rentals to get acquainted with like things like hospitality, you know, like just little stuff, maybe buying a small RV park and like getting some kind of just experience managing like different kinds of properties so that I could feel confident, like managing them on my own. I was left with the choice, like, okay, do I want to spend another two years grinding it? Or yeah. do I have a huge gun that I can just aim yeah sort of, and just shoot it and hopefully let other people like mentors guide me through the process. And it's it's gotten me here. It's pretty cool, man. So that's, uh, you know, and your, your approach, you, you end up learning from people. If you're, if you're raising capital for a 200 and something unit, you're, you're working with people who have the capability of buying and closing on that. And you're, you're going to learn from them. You know, you're going to learn how to do it and make relationships are going to accelerate your progress. So great, great idea. But we need to get into our Ask the Expert portion. So Omar on the line, what do you want to ask him? Well, Omar, I was chatting on a LinkedIn post about a week ago. The gentleman said indirectly that there was a certain approach that young people take on real estate, especially with the current market, how it's going. Old timers from the 70s, they're like, this never ends well. They're like, you know, back off. You know, some people who are in in the business from maybe the eighties to the early tens, you know, they're like, Oh, this is kind of like, this is like, this is sketchy. This, this is, Oh, well, what's going to happen. We just saw this in 2008. And then there's what, people who've been what, in happened? what happened. What's that? So what happened is everybody's saying sketchy and you think it's not sketchy. What's up? I mean, honestly, I don't think it's that sketchy because I've done like moderate research on the market. I mean, supply and demand, it's its very simple economics. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Brian just said it on a LinkedIn post. I just said it on an Instagram post like two weeks ago. I've seen so many videos about it. And really it's in California where I live for, this is my perfect example in California where I live, like there are so many homeless people and these, you know, it, we need more houses. Yeah. We need more affordable housing. We need more housing. We're way back on that. And that's why everything's so expensive. Yeah. And I mean, we live in California, so it's always going to be expensive here, but it's even more expensive because there's not that much of it. And so people are hysterical. And but anyways, to continue on to my question, um, the third portion was people from the 2010s and beyond is their their um, their approach that they take is FOMO, fear of missing out and YOLO. You only live once like you can take this or you're like you can't. So my question, I don't want to miss anything, but I don't want to yeah. be identified with the YOLOers. I'm strategic and I try my hardest to run a really, really tight ship. Okay. Now, if you were me, young and energetic with the tools to succeed and the deep desire to, like you said, Omar, not not to be poor, um, you know, some people just kind of kick back and learn. But I really just don't feel like, you know, doing that anymore. I've I've lived a hell of a life, man. No, but what, what, what is the question? What's the ask? Yeah. 
Well, if you were me and you were young and energetic and you had the tools to do this, would you kick back and learn or would you just full steam ahead, try to go for it and try to learn as you go? Well, that depends on your background, man. Yeah. What, what What is the it that you want to do? I mean, if the it that you want to do is say, uh, let's, let's put it this way. If you want to be a developer, right? Yeah, you can look, man. Uh, Brian probably yeah. knows, man. I'm not really this. I, I don't really understand this whole motivational thing, man. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's, this is just my personal opinion. This might sound like harsh. It's basically a bunch of losers telling other losers what to do. Okay. It's a bit like Brian being a Marine, right? Being a highly trained Marine. As you go to Brian and be like, well, you know, I just think positively and I can jump out of a freaking plane and do the exact same thing you were doing. And Brian's going to be like, all right, buddy, best of luck. Why yeah. don't you show up? Without at the training? Bottom. Yeah. Be a slob, yeah. show up without training, show up without taking all the hits and all the crap I had to take, you know, to even qualify, let alone like yeah. being good at my job. Just do like, like just get him. Right. Mm-hmm. So think about it this way, man. You could have be really good as a developer. You don't got the money. You don't have the balance sheet. Do you think money's just going to fall from the sky? No. No. Do you think a bank's just going to give you a loan because you're, you're, you're a good-looking guy and you, you've got a couple of YouTube videos? Nobody gives a shit in the real world. Mm-hmm. This is why online you see all these people that look like a big deal, and then you actually meet them, and they're wearing really nice clothes, mm-hmm. but you have you have a conversation, like if you know what you're talking about, right? Whatever your chosen field is, right? You could be development, rehabs, or whatever it is. You have a conversation with them. And as soon as you start digging deeper, like anything more than like a little bit more deeper than the basic question, you realize, wow, this person is an inch wide and an inch deep, basically. <laughs> There's no it there. So yeah. I'm not saying you listen to the old timers and just because I also don't believe in that whole baby boomer thing that you've got to be like 65 before you can even think about having a good time. Right. <laughs> I'm not really, yeah. I'm not really of that belief at all. I think that's really dumb, but all this stuff that you hear about motivational stuff and all, I would highly suggest like, if you want to get ahead in life, please stop listening to the motivational stuff on YouTube. Please just stop. Doing it. I definitely, Honestly, if that's the only that. thing you can do for the next year. <laughs> just stop listening to motivational crap on YouTube. Right. And just, Focus on whatever that it is. So if you want to get better at selling, as an example, because that, that's the one skill you need to have, man. It doesn't matter what you're doing, okay? Just get better at selling. What does getting better at selling mean? Let's assume, obviously, you got to talk to people, learn, but just pick up one thing every day. That's your biggest task of the day and just do it. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what everybody says. Just do that task. So if your task is, I got to make, I don't know, 40 calls to people. Mm-hmm. Well, screw it. You got to make 40 calls to people. If you're sick, you got to make 40 calls. If you're happy, you got to make 40 calls. If your leg is bleeding, you got to make 40 calls, right? That's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, so, something else. I mean, you you talk about the other generations and and where, where their fears are. You know, we're, we're probably going into recession. You know, what, what I'll say is, you know, something a lot of economists and a lot of very wealthy people have said is, during recessions, there's a huge wealth transfer. You know, money moves from you know one sector to another sector in in the recessions, and you know, so there there's going to be a lot of opportunities. You know, so a lot of people are looking at 2008, saying, okay, the sky fell in 2008, things went to hell in a handbasket, and you know, everybody lost money, and so they're they're fearful. You know, it's it's one of those things where you just got to you got you got to pay attention to what's going on around you. What what things are going to work, what the economic yeah. indicators are, and, yeah. and move forward. And to, yeah. to Omar's point about the motivational stuff, when I started, 
you know, I, I used to be, I used to listen to like four or five podcast episodes every day and, <laughs> you know, try to try to you know, learn and get the motivation to do things. When I actually started doing things, I found myself not even wanting to listen to podcasts, if that makes sense. You know, just one of those things where the, the action breeds more action, the momentum, you know, the momentum that you create keeps pushing you along. And that's, that's really, I think what, uh, what, what I would you guys are. Doing. So the answer to you that you guys are giving me to my question is basically just go for it, but just go for it and don't be stupid about it. Yeah. Now that, that's pretty much the conclusion I came to, you know, yeah, but don't I, also um, do this whole YOLO thing. Okay. Yeah. You only live once, but you don't want to live miserably. That yeah. I know. <laughs> You, know, you want the one time you're living to be the most miserable yeah, part of your life. Yep. So yeah, go for it is the answer. Go for it. Don't let old people get you down, but you also realize, man, uh, aged by definition, man, look, I'm 36, man. I was a lot more carefree when I was 26. And I'm not even that old, relatively speaking. <laughs> so as you become older, you it's a natural course of events, man. You, you realize you just have less time and there's more constraints on your time and you just... You just become more fearful. A lot of people just become more fearful. That's just the way yeah. it is. I don't want to end up living in fear like that. Like as a, you know, as an older man, like I'm 22, I got a lot of life ahead of me and I'm not trying to have any more of it. If I can help it be in any way, what I don't want it to be. Cause but it's I would just like that my whole life. The best thing would be to get off social media. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> I spend my, more my, time my on LinkedIn and in my emails than on social media. Yeah. So you say my dad taught me something when I was younger is don't take advice from people who are not where yeah. you want to get. Yeah. You know, so when you hear people talk about that, you know, I Omar made the point a lot of these guys are, you know, an inch wide and an inch deep, right? True. Just take it with a grain of salt and just realize, okay, where is that person coming from? Is that person where I want to be? And if that person is where you want to get to, where you want to be, put a lot more. Yeah. Uh, he t- pay a lot more heed to what they're saying if they're not 100 or in other words you know don't take financial advice from broke people yeah. i don't not anymore that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> not anymore i think everybody has at one point yeah yeah definitely all right what else any any other big burning questions i can share my wisdom with you on <laughs> i mean honestly i think that I, it's not that I have more questions. It, it's more that I just want to see what you're doing. I, I want to learn from people like you. I want to observe. I want to like be able to just be there and watch this stuff happen because I don't learn by getting told something. I don't learn by asking a question or receiving an answer. I learn by seeing how it happens. Like I want to get on your email list and I want to see your deals and I want to see how, you know, what, what how you're pitching them to your investors and how, how you're going about it. That way I can apply those same strategies that Oh, yeah. to work well, to, you know the only thing there is there is no strategy to pitch to investors okay i know there strategy is the strategy is you tell people hey man here's the deal here's what i'm doing people give you money all this other stuff you hear about automations and mail campaigns and this self bs okay because if and it's a chicken and egg thing if you don't have say a track record or you don't have a record of implementation execution right nobody cares how good your funnel is nobody cares Okay. So yeah, I say you're more than happy to join my mailing list. I mean, I have no control over that, right? I'm not going to unsub you, right? There is no secret. There is no secret. The secret is you just go and do it. Yeah. That's what but I've been the, doing. I've just been going out there and just giving it my all. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. Yeah. yeah the be- best success I have raising capital is 
I invest in the deal and I reach out to people that I know and I like and that I know that are interested in it and I just say, hey, I'm investing in this deal. Do you want to invest with me? You know, and it's it's super simple, but what, what it takes is a relationship. You have to have a relationship with those people and you yeah. have to have a track record. Yeah, the these automations help, but they they're not going to replace, like Omar said, you know, you can have the best automation in the world, but if if you don't have the track record and you're you're never you're never gonna make that work. So I'll say this the magazine has a big old email list, a huge one, but I don't. I keep honestly personal relationships that mm-hmm. I can call and like literally have like a 20 minute conversation with mm-hmm. most of my investors as long as I give them like a little bit of hey, I'm gonna call you in two, three hours, you know. And most of the time it's either okay, I can answer or let's talk tomorrow. And almost all of them. Uh, there's only a few of them. And like th- these people, the people who I don't talk to, it's because they can't like, there's this gentleman named Clifford and, you know, he has, um he, he got sick or something and he can't really like speak, but you know, he still is an investor of mine. And, you know, I, I talked to him via email only, but you know, it's still, I still try to keep that like personal part to it. I think that's really important. I think that like having them see you as a friend and a business partner, rather than just a salesman who's pitching them a deal, you know, is way better. I don't even ask people to invest. I just show people the opportunity. Like he said, and I say, Hey, you know, you could be a part of it if you want. We're about out of time. So I got one last question for each of you. And that question is this, and Omar, you to go first, by the way, how can listeners learn more about you? Right. You can join my mailing list by visiting uh, my website, boardwalkwealth.com. The form is right on the homepage. And if you join now, by the way, I'll give you access to my hidden mobile app with nine hours of free passive investing courses. Mm -hmm. Again, that's at boardwalkwealth.com. All right. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So boardwalkwealth.com. And hey, William, that's how you get on his email address or his uh, his mailing list. So there you go. William, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? They can't necessarily learn more about me from here, but they can learn more about what we're doing and they can go to realty411.com. They can sign up for our email newsletter. You know, our VIP group is a whopping 20 bucks a month, really not anything that's super expensive. So right there, realty411.com. That's I mean, Google realty411, something will come up. Sounds good. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you gentlemen for coming on the show today. Very much appreciate your time and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already, and then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.